Hello everybody, my name's Darren and I write a blog called The Demon's Voice at thedemonsvoice.blogspot.com. I'm also on, oh, it's about movies and shit like that. I'm also on Twitter at A Demon's Voice, of which definitely follow me because why the fuck not? Uh, you should also subscribe to this podcast because apparently I should say that and I have been forgetting. Um, also, I had a few people message me after the last podcast, which was about, uh, what was it about now? Well, I don't remember. Oh, it was about Toy Story. It was about Toy Story. Because I said after the film started, or ended rather, some guy came up to me and started talking to me, and I interpreted it as chatting me up. And people wondered why I thought that was chatting me up, because he didn't say anything that suggested he was chatting me up. To which I would say, I mean, come on, look at me. Of course he was chatting me up. So that explains that. Also, today we'll be talking about the film Yesterday by Danny Boyle, uh, directed by Danny Boyle, written by Richard Curtis. I have quite a personal connection to this film, which you'll find out about as the podcast goes on. Bloggy podcast. Uh, And as it turns out, I have a deleted scene for this film on my phone. Uh, How I have that will become apparent when you listen to the bloggy podcast, you think. But if you're a big fan of this movie, uh, or the lead actor singing the songs of the Beatles, then you should get in touch with me, because I have uh, footage of him doing an extra song that isn't in the movie, and I will happily share it with you for a substantial fee. So, you know, get on with that, because I would like some money. Anyway, uh, you know, enjoy what I have to say of this movie, and I guess I will go now. Cheers. When Danny Boyle and I were making his latest film yesterday, I mentioned to him that he was my favourite director of all time. Huh? What? Oh, I hadn't told you that me and Danny made this film together. Alright, okay. Uh, in which case... I spent a day on set with the D-Meister as he directed me in his latest film. That's pretty cool, right? What a brag! Not only has Danny Boyle also directed Leonardo DiCaprio, Michael Fassbender and Ewan McGregor, but now he can tell people he's worked with me too. Admittedly, I was an extra and his direction was, instead of standing right here by me, why don't you go and stand over there instead? But it counts! Anyway, so when I was chatting to him at his hotel afterwards, after I'd waited for four hours for him to leave the set, chased him to his car and forced tax driver at gunpoint to follow where he went, I told him that he was my favourite director of all time. He said thanks as though he hears it all the time, and as though I was only saying it to kiss his ass because he was right there. But in my case, he really is my favourite director. Trainspot is my all-time favourite film. I swear that 28 Days Later reinvented the horror genre, and I will fight to the fucking death with anybody that is dismissive of the beach. But that bit in the film in which DiCaprio hallucinates is in a computer game is a bit shit. The fuck did you just say? Right, you, me, tooled up by the bins right fucking now. I tell you all of that just to put my excitement for this film into context, I suppose. I was about to see if I'd made the final cut of a proper movie. It was the latest film from Debo, my favourite ever director. And it was about a world in which everybody has forgotten who the Beatles are. Now, it's not that I don't like the Beatles, but I live in a place called the Wirral, which is essentially on the other side of the River Mersey to Liverpool. It's the direction that the ferry sails the fastest towards. And so we on the Wirral have to hear the fucking Scousers banging on about the fucking Beatles all the fucking time. A world in which nobody has heard of the Beatles sounds like fucking heaven to me. I should possibly also mention that at one point when we were filming, I looked over and stood about five feet away from me was writer-director Richard Curtis, just mulling about. I'm not a huge fan of his work in general, although I like some of the stuff that he's written. Although, obviously, I had to get a picture with him, because approaching a famous person called Richard for a photograph is one of the few times that you can legitimately ask a celebrity for a dick pic. In case you're wondering too, despite his love actually being one of the most horrendous things that humanity has produced since the nuclear bomb, he is potentially the kindest man that I have ever spoken to in my life. Daniel Boyle was great to me, and I really do love him, but Richard Curtis, and I don't mean to exaggerate, 
is an actual angel sent down by God to impose a feeling of love and warmth on all of those that he talks to. He is a gift to the world, and I will die for him. So not only is this film being directed by one of the UK's most iconic filmmakers with Boyle, it's also being written by one too, with Curtis being responsible for the script. The film begins with the lead character and failing musician Jack being hit by a bus as he rides his bike before waking up in a completely different world. Does that sound familiar? Because that's pretty much the exact setup to Boyle's own 28 Days Later, if I remember rightly. Although here, the world he wakes up to has lost four beetles, instead of gaining one rage-infected monkey. Yesterday is also a gentle romantic comedy that has a pretty high concept that doesn't entirely follow through on its central ideas as soon as you apply even the smallest amount of fucking logic. Does that sound familiar? Because to me, it sounds like Curtis's own About Time, in which the lead character can travel back in time, but in a way that seemingly has no real consequence or consistency to how it's used. In the case of Yesterday, that just happens to be regarding the ripple effect of removing the Beatles from our history, and yet somehow having almost all of our culture turn out exactly the same. Unless, of course, the Beatles didn't really have that much of an effect on our society, and the Scousers are just exaggerating. Not that I could possibly ever imagine them doing that. In the case of both About Time and Yesterday, though, it's hard to let the plot holes even remotely get in the way because of how good-natured and enjoyable the rest of the movie is. It'd be like rejecting Christmas presents just because of that slight niggle of Jesus having not existed, and even if he did, he probably wasn't magic. Although, it's actually kind of a misrepresentation to say that this film is about a guy waking up in a world in which the Beatles don't exist, because that's not entirely true. When Jack discovers that nobody has ever heard of the band, he turns to Google for confirmation, because apparently Google is for more than just finding porn. Who knew? Once he's discovered that they're missing, he begins to Google other things too to see how far the butterfly effect of losing the Beatles does actually go. The Rolling Stones still exist, which is odd considering I've literally read interviews with Keith Richards, in which he stated that without the Beatles there'd be no Stones. But as he continues to Google away, it turns out that Oasis doesn't exist, which is fair enough I suppose. That's obviously a joke at Oasis' expense, because of how they're constantly being accused of ripping the Beatles off. But as the film continues, it turns out that Coca-Cola doesn't exist either. Did the Beatles have something to do with the creation of Coca-Cola? And then he discovers that cigarettes don't exist either. I mean, what the fuck I thought? Did the Beatles invent cigarettes? How many people have died as a direct result of that fucking band, I wondered? Both of my granddads died of smoker-related illnesses. Is the blood of my grandparents quite literally on the hands of John, Paul, George and Ringo? Fucking twats. Well, not George, I guess. He produced a few films that I actually prefer to my grandparents, so I'll let him off. But the rest of them are fucking murderers. Then it occurred to me that people used to smoke cigarettes during the First World War, and although it might feel like Liverpool's been banging on about the fucking Beatles since then, that technically did come first. At which point I realised that this film is actually about a world in which a load of random shit has been Thanos snapped away, and the Beatles just happens to be the one in which this main character is able to capitalise on. He's an unsuccessful singer who suddenly gifted their entire back catalogue of music, but perhaps somewhere else in this world, there's a wannabe merchant of death that's frantically trying to figure out the exact combination of rat poison and tobacco to create the first cigarette. In which case, you could argue away the ripple effect of the Beatles being removed from culture on the grounds that certain things are always just fated to happen. The Rolling Stones were always going to exist, Coldplay, who were at one point referenced, were always going to exist, and the warbling troll Ed Sheeran was always going to exist. In case you're unaware, Sheeran appears in the movies himself, which put me in an interesting position. I can't stand the Orange Orcs music, but the scene I was in happened to be a crowd scene for one of his gigs. I do, however, have a friend that quite literally said that he loved Ed Sheeran's music so much that he'd let him bum him if he wanted to. In honesty, I think that friend might let Ed Sheeran bum him anyway, because he's a little bit gay. But he'll only admit that when he's drunk, so I won't tell you what his name is. Although if you know me, and you think you know who I'm talking about, then you're obviously right. I did, however, keep the fact that I'd been in a scene with Ed Sheeran from him for over six months until the perfect moment presented itself to me, and honestly, it was fucking perfect. 
He called me a dickhead for no reason, to which I responded, at least I've worked with Ed Sheeran this year, and it was like I'd fucking punched him in the fucking stomach. It was so funny. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I am a dickhead? Hmm. Probably not. But is Ed Sheeran any good in this movie, I guess, is the real question. Now, this is the interesting position that I feel I've been put in, really, because I can either lie and slag off an aspect of a film by my favourite director, which I don't really want to do, or... I praise a man that I've been arguing with a friend as a talentless carrot-topped goblin for years. In which case, I'd have to concede, and it's hard for me to say this, but Sheeran isn't bad in this movie. Oh god, I'm going to be sick. He's not great, but he's not bad. However, I heard Danny Boyle in an interview a few years ago in which he was asked for his opinion on the very young children in the film Lion, and whether their performance could be attributed to them or the director. In answering, he cited his own experience of working with young actors in Slumdog Millionaire, in which he claimed that it was his job as a director to make the situation real enough for the children that they would give the desired response, despite not necessarily understanding the nuance of the scene. So I guess that what I'm saying is that, if my friend is listening, Sheeran might not be terrible in this film, but he's still an unskilled ginger hobbit, and any redeeming qualities that might be on display here are exclusively due to the skill of my favourite director. I'd also argue that on the day I was filming, all Sheeran had to do was play himself, whereas I had to play a fan of Ed Sheeran, and so it's me who deserves the fucking praise in terms of performance. If I were to criticise this film for anything, I think it would ironically be the romantic element and that of the female lead played by Lily James. She's obviously great and so I'm not slagging off James herself, but her character feels like one that the film occasionally forgets about and has to keep remembering to cut back to every so often. She also plays the main character's long-term friend, an original manager that's in love with him, despite the fact that he hasn't noticed or ever thought of her in a romantic way. Now, I can accept that if a man gets hit by a bus, the entire world might forget about the Beatles, but I can't quite suspend my disbelief that a guy could fail to fall in love with Lily James. Despite Curtis's history with rom-coms, though, yesterday actually reminded me again of About Time, and that that also seemed to neglect its central romance once the story got going. In About Time, it starts off about two people falling in love, but ends up about a boy and his father. In the case of Yesterday, the film's main focus seems to be on the power of music and the ownership of songs. Whether Beatles famous because of the songs or because of a combination of the songs, the time period, and the individual personalities. When Jack first plays Let It Be to his parents, you'd expect their minds to explode having never heard it before, but the reality is that they couldn't really give a shit. When he does begin to find success, however, he finds himself feeling the guilt of his fraud. So it's about imposter syndrome too. Is it wrong to claim credit for the work that isn't his own, or should he simply gift the music to the world and keep his mouth shut about where it all came from? Of course, the biggest question I was left wondering was, where the fuck am I in this movie? Because I can't fucking see myself anywhere. Both Boyle and Curtis are truly titans of British cinema, and so yesterday was always going to be interesting if only to see whose film it ended up feeling like the most. Having seen it too, I have to say that it's Curtis's voice that comes through the loudest. Obviously the films of both men do share some similarities, with music being one of them, Curtis made a film all about music with The Boat That Rocked, and Boyle was responsible for the train spotting soundtrack, which was to the entire fucking 90s what the Beatles are to Liverpool. But the genius of Boyle has always been that despite having a completely distinct voice as a director, he never seems to feel the urge to impose himself on the material. Just look at his previous and brilliant Steve Jobs, Further Proof, which feels predominantly like the work of writer Aaron Sorkin, with only a few subtle Boyle-esque flourishes throughout. Perhaps 127 hours would be peak Boyle in terms of identifying his style, being that it's about one person trapped under a rock, and so required his creativity to tell the story. But when you consider that the message of the movie is ultimately that art is more important than the artist, it's also pretty admirable that Boyle has simply let the story play out, without an egotistical need to remind you that it's him behind the camera. Curtis is often accused of being too sentimental, and Boyle is often accused of being too edgy. 
Yesterday definitely leans more towards sentimentality than edginess, but Boyle's sense of cynicism prevents it from ever becoming too vomit-inducing. One of his other many skills, too, has always been in finding a good writer and bringing the best out of them. Curtis might have directed films too, but writing is clearly where his true skill lies, and with Boyle in charge, Yesterday essentially feels like Curtis's work at its absolute best. Funny, sweet, warm-hearted, and charming. But to reiterate what I said a second ago and to get back to the main point, where the fuck am I in this movie? Because I can't fucking see myself anywhere. I've been full-on pestering people with the fact that I'm in this movie for over a year now, and so you can imagine how embarrassing it'd be if I did end up on the cutting room floor. The scene I was in finally arrived, and despite the fact that it had taken all day to film, the majority of it had been cut down to a simple 30-second montage. There's a good chance that I am still in the film, in one of the crowd shots, but it was cut so fast that I wasn't able to spot myself, and I certainly didn't get a close-up. This lack of close-up is particularly strange, too, when you consider that I'd spent the day scouting the room for the location of every single camera there, and then staring straight down the barrel of them like I was in an episode of fucking Fleabag. But, in a way, the scene's complete lack of focus on me has made me respect my old colleague and former boss Danny Boyle even more. With me on set, he was given fucking gold and he decided not to make it a prominent feature of his film. A lesser director would have spotted me in the crowd and been seduced by the urge to zoom right in, but not him. He'd already taken his own ego out of the equation in order to make Yesterday feel more like a Richard Curtis film, and so I imagined that he knew that prominently including my face would have been a distraction from the story too. Who was that eye-catching Adonis at the Ed Sheeran gig, people would have asked? Why did they include a Jesus figure in the crowd and then never reference him again? I'd have been the Chekhov's gun of extras in that from the moment the audience laid eyes on me, they'd have only spent the rest of the movie wondering when I was going to show back up. And that's not fair on the main actors, because you could see they were working really hard to create their characters on that day. I can only imagine Danny Boyle's frustration too, at wanting to keep me in, but knowing in his heart that I had to go. In which case, all I can say is that I loved the film of yesterday, despite my lack of top billing, and I am truly sorry for making Danny Boyle's job any more difficult than it no doubt already was. Thanks for listening, motherfuckers, and see you next time.